Dr. Bill Nuttall, thank you for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School podcast series today. You've just written a paper generating the option of a two-stage nuclear renaissance, and it's co-authored. Yes, indeed. The paper is the result of a collaboration uh, between myself and uh, Professor Robin Grimes. He's the director of the Imperial College Centre for Nuclear Engineering in London. And uh, we've prepared the paper for the journal Science, and it considers the possibility that the um, nuclear renaissance that's going on around the world might actually occur in two phases. And what are those phases? Well, at the moment, there is clearly a nuclear renaissance underway. We see it uh, very visibly in in Europe and and in North America. Um, But at some level, it's getting not much beyond what one might call replace nuclear with nuclear. Um, But even uh, at that relatively modest level of ambition, the investment required and the effort required is substantial. Um, For instance, in the United Kingdom, many billions of pounds are likely to be spent over the next 15 years on new nuclear power stations. Um, But Robin Grimes and I, we we lifted our field of view to the longer term, and we actually considered um, uh, issues that that might loom mid-century. And on that kind of timescale, we saw the possibility that there might need to be a much larger expansion of nuclear energy, um, and that we weren't entirely confident that um, appropriate measures are being taken now to prepare for that uh, possible future. And I know that you think that nuclear technology is at a crossroads today. Why? Well, I think actually the crossroads is visible further down the road. As I, as I mentioned, the, the nuclear renaissance is, is already underway and, and will be a, a substantial undertaking. But the crossroads will come um, in, in about 20 or, th- or 30 years' time. Uh, this is the point when we may need to um, complete the decarbonisation of the uh, uh, bulk of the global energy system. And nuclear energy may be required for that. And uh, if so, um, it, it, the level of expansion of nuclear energy will, would sufficiently stress the conventional uh, approach to nuclear energy that we adopt today that actually we believe that new technologies and new fuel cycles are, are going to be required. And one of the points of our paper is to remind the world that you know, we need to prepare now in order to have that option uh, 20 to 30 years from now. And is that the solution? You call it an option, but is that the solution to our low-carbon energy future? Just just planning and not replacing like with like in terms of nuclear energy, but thinking out a proper strategy and a new way to develop nuclear energy in the future? Uh, well, isn't there, there's a famous aphorism that says that it's, um, uh, predictions are always d- very dangerous, especially when about the future. Uh, Robin, Robin Grimes and I, we, we, we don't presume that uh, mid-century, that uh, a major global expansion of nuclear energy will be required. Uh, We we merely posit that it's a distinct possibility. Uh, We note the possibility that uh, renewable energies become more economically um, viable. Uh, Some of the problematic issues of intermittency are uh, resolved, uh, and that renewable energy may be the route to uh, widespread decarbonisation. Another option is the... uh, long-promised uh, technology of nuclear fusion may be commercialised on these timescales. There, there, are, there are various things that might kick in that allow a decarbonisation, a substantial decarbonisation without uh, big growth in nuclear power, uh, but we do see the possibility that a major expansion of nuclear power will be required. So then what's the process? How should we proceed to sort of facilitate that and, if necessary, slow it down or speed it up? Well, the... the 
in order to, to generate the option that we, we may need 20 or 30 years from now, uh, we suggest that uh, various um, underpinning investments uh, should be made in, in technology development, in, in fuel cycle considerations, uh, and in human resources. Um, uh, one example is uh, the technology of nuclear fuel reprocessing or, or recycling. I think it's sometimes easy for people to confuse the, the, the question of whether to spend billions on a new uh, reprocessing facility with the question of whether to invest millions in uh, keeping that option open. Well, our paper is more about the, the need to uh, maintain options, which is uh, substantially less expensive than the prospect of actually deploying these, uh, these investments at some time in the future. And nation states, are there certain nation states that are setting a lead on this for others to follow? Are some people getting it right? Well, I think the, the civil nuclear industry around the world is changing at a, at a nation-state level. The uh, long-standing uh, countries of leadership uh, continue to ha have uh, great influence, and I'm thinking there of uh, France, the United States, Japan, Russia, and to some extent Britain. Um, but also it's very, very clear that uh, there are some new kids on the block. I'm thinking of uh, South Korea, which has just won a very important contract in Abu Dhabi, but also China and India. And th these countries are going to be important in, in the future of nuclear energy worldwide. And what about uranium production? I know it's something that you personally think we're going to see a lot of change in. Well, I think this is one of the issues with, with, that could drive the need for the option. If the expansion of nuclear energy is mostly to replace nuclear with nuclear and the amount of nuclear energy used is roughly constant around the world, then I don't see, and Robin and I don't see, particular stress on, on uranium supply. The International Energy Agency and others have put out much useful and reassuring data about uh, uranium supply in such scenarios. But if the world were to seek to decarbonize not only the electricity system but also heating and transport with a much greater use of nuclear power, then we do see the possibility that uranium prices would start to rise. And this would motivate consideration of uh, new forms of nuclear energy, uh, new ways of sourcing nuclear fuel, uh, and new technologies for generating electricity from nuclear fuel. These are the technologies and fuel cycles of this second stage of the nuclear renaissance. And these are the technologies and fuel cycles that I think, Robin and I think, should be developed uh, over the next 20 years. And it's a two-stage nuclear renaissance. Why? Well, um, perhaps this is a, a somewhat artificial device because, um, yes, it, naturally it is a kind of uh, evolving continuum from today and into the future. But the, the, Robin and I did want to stress that the, the, the nuclear renaissance that uh, preoccupies policymakers in, in Europe and North America today it is somewhat different than the issues that will loom uh, 20 years out or, or that might loom 20 years out uh, shaping uh, nuclear power development. Um, the issues of the, the nuclear renaissance today... Um, are uh, things such as the supply chain uh, for nuclear power station components, uh, the expertise and skill sets of personnel, particularly in uh, safety regulation, public acceptance of nuclear energy. The, these factors are determining the, the, uh, the nuclear renaissance as it is seen today. But 25 years from now, uh, another set of issues will come to the fore, the need for new technologies, as I said, and particularly questions about fuel availability. Now, is it possible in the long term that we won't need new nuclear energy and that other forms of energy will be sufficient? So will we need that second stage of the nuclear renaissance you talk of? Well, the, we don't uh, mean to suggest that this uh, large-scale um, second stage of nuclear renaissance is inevitable. We, far from it. We, we concede absolutely that the... Uh, 
the energy system of the late 21st century may be dominated by uh, renewables and uh, uh, by nuclear fusion or, or by uh, clean uh, fossil fuel technologies. We don't presume that the dominant technology of the late 21st century will be nuclear power, but we suggest merely that there's a s significant chance that it might be. And if uh, nuclear energy is to play such a role, or more importantly, to have even the chance of playing such a role, uh, then uh, we seek to remind uh, research policy and energy policy decision-makers that, that that option needs to be enabled through decisions in the next few years. So is the imperative to start now, regardless what the future might hold? Absolutely. The, 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 and I don't wish to suggest that there is no action underway. Um, policymakers are indeed doing things now. But there needs, Robert and I suggest, needs to be a stronger recognition that we need to prepare ourselves so that we have a broader range of options for the development of nuclear energy 20 or 30 years from now. And that these decisions that provide us with options should not be confused with the far more expensive decisions related to actual deployment. Uh, and that... Um, if one is uh, averse to the idea of deploying an expensive technology, that is not sufficient reason uh, to uh, refuse modest funding for research and development. Dr Bill Nuttall, thank you for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School podcast series today. Generating the option of a two-stage nuclear renaissance, your new paper, um, I've enjoyed it very much. Thank you very much, Bunny.